establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from the, that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Thank you. Um, and uh, as I always do, please, 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 let me welcome Chris Meekins! Okay, bye. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Lupita. <laughs> really funny. Uh, glad that you're here. Um, all right. Um, hey, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Advent. Start of Advent. Glad that you're with us. I want to start by doing a little crowd work, which is participation from you. And if it and uh, yeah, it's, it'll be easy and harmless. And I won't make fun of you if you participate. You ever be in a situation where they try to get you to participate and then they make fun of you? That's not how we do it. So um, let's, let's begin. I just want to know what are some of the indicators that the Christmas season has begun? What are some of the indicators? That's right. That's right. Sales. Yes, definitely sales. I heard Mariah Carey. Maybe. Did you say Lyme disease? Okay. <laughs> the rise in Lyme disease during Christmas. Lights. That's right. Lights. Yeah, good. Good series called Light in the Darkness. You're jumping ahead. Uh, anything else? What else? What else? Parties. P-A-R-T-Y, because I got to. Yeah, what else? Anything? Parties. Lights. Uh, and obviously, obviously Mariah Carey. I thought you guys might want to hear the beginning. We were talking about the fill. Oof. When you hear this, you know Christmas is here. All right, we can cut it. There we go. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I want to do. Uh, another thing is uh, that psychotic season where loved ones go out and buy Lexuses for their spouse without consulting them. <laughs> You're like, hey, I got you a puppy. Oh, I got you a Lexus. We need to talk about how you spend money. <laughs> And then, of course, there's the Hallmark Christmas movie. And with the rise of Netflix, um, we have all these, like, B-list movies that are being sold to Netflix. And it has some of the best acting of all of time. And they have the plots and the formula. And, you know, she is a hard-nosed CEO <laughs> in from the city back in her hometown who's a little cynical about Christmas. And he's a hardworking, handsome, traditional local baker who's going to open her eyes to the meaning of Christmas, teach her a little thing about Christmas, and maybe a little something about love. And that's how you know Christmas is here. Um, well, one of, and guys, in all seriousness, one of the indicators that we know Christmas is here is lights. There's lights everywhere. There, you start to see lights on trees, you start to see candles in windows, there's radiance everywhere. And lights at Christmas are not just decorative, they're symbolic. Why? Because of, no matter what you want to do in a room, if you don't turn on the lights, you'll be in the dark. You can't see or do anything unless you turn on the lights. And Christmas contains many spiritual truths but one that is essential for all of us is this. The world is a dark place, and we will never find our way or see reality unless Jesus is our light. Now, the Jewish prophet Isaiah foretold of the coming of Jesus 
in the passage of Scripture that was just read by Lupita. Remember her? She screamed my name. Uh, <laughs> she read a passage from the prophet Isaiah who said that the Messiah would come into the world. And as Christians, we believe that Messiah was Jesus of Nazareth. He foretold of the coming of the Messiah. And when he pro in this prophecy, um, it was actually repeated by one of Jesus' disciples in the book of Matthew. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples. And Isaiah paints a picture with words about describing what it would feel like when the Messiah came into the world. And that feeling is a description of light. Look in verse 2, 1 and 2, it says, The people were living in darkness, and they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The prophet Isaiah spoke of Jesus and the Messiah being a light in the darkness. But, so in order for us to understand the light, we also have to understand the darkness. And in the verses that we just read, Isaiah describes the world as dark. Describes it as a dark place. How was the world dark? Well, when we look throughout the scriptures and we see the word dark, it generally represents evil and darkness. Evil and, evil and, excuse me, darkness describes darkness, excuse me. It describes evil and ignorance. Evil and ignorance. It means the world is full of untold suffering. Look what happened at the time of Jesus' birth. Look what was going on. Just read the context around what was happening when Jesus was born. What do you see? It wasn't all fun. It wasn't as cute as the little manger we set up. Jesus was born into an extraordinarily violent time. There was violence. There was injustice. There was abuse of power. Jesus experienced temporary homelessness. You see families were ripped apart. And you see bottomless grief. The world was a dark place. And as you think about how I just described that ancient world, does that remind you of anything? It reminds me, at least, of our world today. When I look at our world today, when we look at our world today, we see that it isn't so different from the ancient world. People are experiencing darkness. Now, the darkness feels a little different. When we look across our world, at least in the United States, you see the manipulation of markets. You see the manipulation of people. We see an epidemic of fatherlessness in America. And some ethnic groups are far, that is far more difficult for than others. So there's injustice weaved into the issue of fatherlessness in America. We see injustices playing out depending upon your social status or your wealth class. So if, for instance, if you're more wealthy, uh, if you have more means for attorneys and legal, uh, legal help, it just so happens you don't go to jail as much. We see injustices play out in, in the streets in terms of violence. Violence against women and children. And we even see violent expressions of angry young men. Angry young men going into places and doing terrible, horrible things to large groups of people. The world is not that different today than it was in the ancient time. Moreover, I would say that the evil we experience now and we see in our world takes on many different forms. There's the obvious forms. An angry young man goes in and shoots up a place that's obviously evil, right? We would all agree with that. But like there's other evil that's not so 
we're not so quick to pick up on. I think sometimes, as much as I love George Lucas and Star Wars, the character Darth Vader gives us a false impression of what evil actually is. You think of Darth Vader as pure evil. He's one-dimensional. I am evil, and I'm here to do evil things. But that's not how the real world works when it comes to evil. We don't have people walking around in Darth Vader outfits, except on Halloween. We don't have people walking around in Darth Vader outfits, and the way darkness and evil plays out is more subtle. Sometimes we see darkness masquerading as light. We see, uh, if it's not masquerading as light, at least it creates a conversation, as a controversy. How many of you are familiar with the, uh, the brand? It's called Balenciaga. Is anyone familiar with Balenciaga? It's okay to admit you're Balenciaga. Uh, <laughs> um, Balenciaga is currently in the news. Has anyone, has anyone heard this story already? Balenciaga is in the news for, and they're being accused of um, normalizing a level of pedophilia in their marketing. And um, at first I didn't believe it. I thought it was just, you know, someone on a particular political side looking to tear down. And then I started seeing all these news reports come out. And you go and you see these photos that they ran on their latest campaign. And it depicts children, like, in outfits. And uh, they're holding these teddy bears that are in in BDSM chains and, and their, their abused faces. But the more you get into it, the more you realize how deep it goes. There, there's documents in one particular picture, and maybe you heard this, there's not, the kid is not only holding a very like uh, disturbed doll that's connected to sexual abuse, there's documents that are laid out, fanned out on the table that you're really not supposed to be reading. It's just supposed to be like um, a prop that they got from a prop house. But that particular prop was a U.S. Supreme Court case uh, that detailed uh, how they wanted to change laws around child pornography. So you have child pornography uh, court case briefings laid out across a child holding a BDSM teddy doll. Uh, not to mention in some of the other photos in the background, they these props were like books that were stacked up. And if you look at the names of the books and you look at the authors, these are particular authors that are, are, are artists that took time to draw pictures of children in occult-like practices uh, doing a very uh, cannibalistic things to other human beings in a very sexualized way. But you go, and, and you oh, well, it's just a prop. I mean, maybe they didn't know, but come on, guys. Some of you work in the industry. I mean, not that industry, but like you work... <laughs> You work in a particular kind of, you know art directors are weighing in on what Target puts in their photos, let alone Balenciaga. And so Balenciaga plays this game where they go, well, you know, it's, um, we had no idea this was, come on, you randomly picked a Supreme Court document that's connected to a child pornography case and put it in front of a child. And they're like, well, it's just massive oversight. And then they, they admitted it that was wrong, and then they uh, sued somebody, and then they're going after a bunch of people that were a part of that, which tells me they, I don't know, I mean, they got caught. They're controversial. They're playing with the line. Um, I'm not here to cancel anybody. I'm just saying, when you talk about light in the darkness, and darkness is not just a pure Darth Vader character, sometimes darkness takes on these very confusing forms. 
where it's unclear. Like people, well, who, who are we to say? Maybe it's just controversial. Maybe we didn't mean it. Maybe it all stacked up. Or maybe it's just evil. I don't know. The world is full of darkness. Some darkness we can clearly see. Some darkness is a little bit more difficult to understand. Another way the world is dark, I'm just going to keep going into this, but another way the world is dark is that no one knows enough to cure the evil and the suffering in it. So we just read Isaiah 9, but in Isaiah 8, Isaiah describes how the people, the ancient Jewish people, where they were consulting mediums and they were consulting magicians. And at this time, if you don't know what those were, those were spiritual experts. They were consulting mediums and magicians. They were looking for experts that could help them understand what to do. They were consulting with experts instead of consulting with God. What's going on here? Well, Isaiah is trying to make the point that the people of earth were looking to earth to solve earth's problems. They were looking to human resources to fix the world. They were looking to experts. They were looking to mystics. They were looking to scholars for the solutions. Yes, they say, we are in darkness, but we can overcome the darkness. You know, people today make the same claims. Do they not? Some people look to the state. They look to the government. Does anyone know the comedian Dave Chappelle? He gets often in trouble all the time all for everything he says always. He did this one special, because he lives in Ohio, and he said on, in 2016 he was going to go vote. <clears throat> and he stood in line like every other American. And he makes fun of Ohioans. And I'm from Ohio, so I can make fun of it. But he's standing in line in Ohio, and he lives in Yellow Springs, which is kind of hippy-dippy, kind of small town. Uh, and he's like, I look through their coal-smeared faces. <laughs> he's making fun of them. And he said, people in line were actually talking to him, and they were saying, Donald Trump is going to save our country. And he does it in a very funny way, and everybody laughs. But they were the, the message was true for them. They believed that Donald Trump was going to save them and save their country. I remember a few years earlier, I was watching CNN, and it was right before the inauguration of Barack Obama, and a CNN reporter actually made a connection between Barack Obama's upcoming inauguration and the miracle on the Hudson that happened on January 5th. He actually made, he's like, with Barack Obama being elected, and then Obviously, he, he, didn't, he didn't say it was, a, it was a, as a causation. He was hinting at a correlation between Barack Obama's nomin- or uh, his um, uh, inauguration and Sully, the, the, <laughs> the pilot, actually being able to save all those people and land on the Hudson. He was c- trying to make the connection that, you know, when you put the right people in office, miracles do happen. And I was like, wow, from a CNN reporter that, that I, you know, that's not real. There's no, there's no real causation there. But uh, I'm like, okay. But the point being is that he was so personally excited about what was happening with the inauguration of Barack Obama. And that's fantastic. It was wonderful. And the whole, remember, if you remember 2007, 2008, the whole campaign was about hope. It was about hope and the future. But the hope was in Obama. 
The hope was in what Obama could do. The hope was in the humanistic project that if we just come together, we can pull it together. So some people trust in the state. Others claim that the free market and innovation can heal the darkness. Some people look at their own feelings to try to heal the darkness. Earlier this week, I was at a soul cycle class, obviously. And my soul cycle instructor was around song five or six, and she's lovely. I, I love her. Um, we follow each other on Instagram. Um, and uh, sometimes she comments on what I do, but I never comment on what she does. I think I owe her a like at some point. Uh, so I'm at the Soul Cycle class, and it's about song five or six out of eight. I don't know what it is, but you know, we're climbing a hill, so we're supposed to, you know, we're supposed to adjust. We're supposed to crank up the resistance, if you know what I'm talking about. So we're cranking up the resistance, and at some point, she blurts out uh, in a very compassionate, kind way. She says, "You are perfect, and you are perfect. You're perfect. You're perfect. There's nothing wrong with you." At all. And like the more you say it, like it's like saying like, oh, my wife and I are doing great. It almost sounds like you and your wife are not doing great. So you are, <laughs> lately, lately people are like, how are things going for you? I'm like, oh, the pandemic has been terrible for the church, but I love my wife. We're doing so well. We're doing the best we've ever done. And they look at me. I'm like, you got to trust me. I, I mean it. So the more you say it, but she's like, you're perfect. You're absolutely perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. And by the end of the song, I literally, I, I tune her out because I can't handle that part of it. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and I'm a Christian, and so I believe no one's perfect. Uh, but, uh, but by the end of the song, she had lin lit literally contradicted herself. And I overhear her saying, she goes, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it was, in, it was in the same song. I just rolled my eyes. What's she doing here? What, what was she doing in that moment? Besides pandering to a bunch of angry, and uh, besides pandering to a bunch of anxious moms who wanted to work out after Thanksgiving, what is she doing besides pandering? She's trying to make sense of the brokenness of the world. She's trying to make sense out of all the negativity that each of us experience, the body shaming, the things that we see that like we're like, man, I could never be that. She's trying to make sense of that negativity, and it's her attempt to use every resource and faculty that she has in her brain at that moment to help the people that are sitting there, working their little booties off to try to work out. She's trying to make sense of it. Everything that she has available in her heart and her mind to try to find a solution by telling us, if we just look within ourselves, then everything will be okay. You are enough as you are. And she had came to this, and as long as we come to the same conclusion that she comes to about us, that we are okay within, then we will be okay. And all we need is each other. And if we just validate one another, then we can climb out of the negativity that we feel. Do you see the closed system there? Do you see that she's looking at us, who, uh, and we were looking at her, just trying to figure out the, the problems of the world on our own? That if we just look within that we can figure ourselves out. Another example of humans looking to other humans to solve human problems. Uh, there's this, I want to get his name right. He's a CEO, and he built an electric car company, and he's trying to go to Mars. What's his name? <laughs> Elon? Elon? Yeah, I'm just kidding. Elon Musk. Uh, he's recently been in the news because he bought um, a social media company called uh, Twitter. And... He is at the center of either praise or anger. 
right now. Some people are like, Elon's going to save our country. And other people are like, this is the end of the country. And he believes, like the best telling of him is he believes in, um, in extraordinary types of free speech. His opponents would say that allowing for certain kinds of free speech would include something called hate speech. And so there's a debate on how much free speech should be allowed on this platform called Twitter. Now, we could debate that all day, and I don't think we should. But here's what I'm thinking. If a person has a strong emotional reaction, one way or the other, either they're very much for what Elon wants or against it, I, and what his management team wants, I think it reveals more about how we think about the power of technology than it does what we have to say or think about free speech, uh, or limiting free speech or increasing free speech whatsoever. Think about it. People are implicitly saying that this Twitter technology is so important, if we don't get this right, it could destroy humanity, and if we do get it right, it could actually propel humanity forward and fix some of humanity's problems. Do you see that? Do you see what, do you see what I'm trying to say here? That it's not Elon that I'm worried about, it's the anxiety around the technology. Why? Because people look to technology to solve human problems. The point is this. I gave you an illustration about SoulCycle instructor, lover. I want to repeat that I love her. And I give you an illustration about Elon Musk. And many people view human problems in a sort of a bubble. Like we are operating in a closed system that only humans can solve human problems. And this thinking today isn't so different than the thinking that happened at the foretelling of the coming of the Messiah. Both our culture and the ancient culture foretold, uh, in, uh, both in our culture and the ancient culture, we kind of look to each other to solve the problems of the world. And they have, there's a shared assumption in both cultures, and that assumption is this. Things are dark, but we believe that we can end this darkness with intellect and innovation. We can overcome anything comes our way, whether it's poverty, injustice, violence, evil, we can overcome it. And it's what was meant in the old school, maybe a few years ago, maybe you grew up hearing the term humanism. The term humanism, that we as humans can solve our own problems. Well, can we? Can we actually solve our own problems? Can we actually eradicate evil from the world? One of the most thoughtful world leaders of all time and the reason I'm exaggerating is because I'm going to use him as an illustration. <laughs> I'm just kidding. One of the most uh, important world leaders in the 20th century was a guy named Vaclav Havel. And he was the first president of the Czech Republic. And this guy was interesting because he got to see both socialism and capitalism play out in his lifetime, in his country. So he saw both. And what's interesting is that he wasn't optimistic about the prospects of socialism. And he wasn't optimistic about capitalism and the free market as being a solution to humans' problems. And he concluded that, um, he concluded a few things. And one of the interesting things that he says, because he was around during the Holocaust, he said that science, when it is unguided by moral principles, that is something that gave us the Holocaust. So science in and of itself isn't enough to save humanity. 
in his particular in his particular context. I mean, it was a very scientific approach to trying to hurt people of a certain ethnicity. He concluded that was it was neither technology nor the state nor the free market that could save us from humans' problems. And here's a quote from him. I want to read it to you. He says, "The pursuit of the good life will not help." Humanity save itself, nor is democracy alone enough. A turning to and a seeking of God is needed. The human race constantly forgets that he is not God. And what we read in Isaiah is that if we only look to the earth and if we only look to human resources, the darkness cannot be overcome. And sometimes, in certain situations, it enhances the darkness. That's how tricky the darkness can be. Are you depressed yet? And it's important to remember that we really can't truly understand the light till we have a grasp of the darkness and its fullness. So if the darkness of the world is really that dark, and if the light within us is actually incapable of penetrating the darkness to actually make the world a better place, what does Christianity... What does the coming of Christmas, what does this Advent season offer to us that's so different? Well, in many ways, I find that when we look at the darkness of the world, it actually authenticates Christianity. It authenticates the Christmas story. It authenticates the Bible's view of Christmas. Why? Because <clears throat> Christmas is not about false hope. Christmas becomes the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. In the Bible, when you're looking at Christmas, it, it isn't like, hey, cheer up, pull it together. We can make the world a better place. That's not the message of Christmas in the Bible. And by the way, the Bible never suggests that we should turn a blind eye to evil, that we should ignore evil that we should be indifferent towards evil. In, in fact, the Bible is very clear that we should resist and stand up against evil. But the Bible also doesn't support a view that you and I can defeat evil on our own. Christianity does not share the optimistic view of some thinkers that would say we can fix it all if we just try hard enough. And nor does the Bible take a pessimistic, fatalistic view that... Um, you know, just going to be a dystopian future. Instead, the message of Christianity is this. <clears throat> Things are really this bad, and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark, but nevertheless, there is hope. We're doing this series called Light in the Darkness, and there's hope for you and for me. And the point of this hope, the reason for this hope, is that it doesn't come from within. Even on your best day, even on my best day, the hope that you can have comes from outside of you. It doesn't come from your own intelligence. And I know a lot of you have a lot of really good ideas, but it doesn't come from that either. It doesn't come from your ideas. There is hope. There is a person who brings this hope. There's a person who changes us from the inside out. And this is what Isaiah is getting after. And this is why Christmas is so fun. Because Jesus is that hope. 
that Jesus actually, from the outside in, came to bring real truth into your life, into my life. That Jesus, from the outside in, came to bring real healing. The healing you can't do for yourself and for your loved ones, Jesus can do for you. He came to bring real justice. You ever get in a discussion about what is just and how we need to fix America? Ever have one of those discussions, or is it just me? Okay, so you have those discussions. What this country really needs is, and then like what you end up having is these debates that are non-solvable. But Jesus, from the outside in, has come to bring true justice. Not even my interpretation of Jesus' understanding of justice, but a pure justice. Something that we could not do ourselves. Something that we cannot solve on our own with our best efforts. And he did it for you and for me. The kind of truth and healing justice that we just can't get on our own. Christmas. You should be encouraged because Christmas is the hopeful reminder that you're not able to do a lot on your own. And you can't change your life on your own. And I know some of you are very capable, but you're not that capable. And some of you feel like you're really good at running your own life, but Christmas is the reminder that's supposed to punch you in the face, that you're not able to do that on your own. And this takes an extraordinary amount of humility because you're saying, yeah, you know what? Maybe we as humans can't figure it out. Maybe we don't have all the resources. Maybe we don't have all the answers. Maybe my political affiliations and alignments won't actually work this out in my lifetime. That's what I think. And I'm here to tell you that the power of Christmas is that it, this little punch in the face, in your face, comes to you in the form of a baby, in Jesus. And I know some of you are here today and um, you feel like you're running your life, but I know there's others of you here today who don't feel like you're running your life all that well. You don't feel like things are working out in your dating life. Some of you are married, you have some questions in your marriage. Some of you are having some struggles with your career or lack thereof in your future. And I think the power of the gospel and the power of Christmas is that we get to follow a God and we get to serve a God and be a part of a family of believers where we go, yeah, it's okay. I am not actually that good. Hey, things are not working out for me here. And we can admit it and we can look to God for the resources that we need. Christmas reminds us that you and I, we need Jesus. We need him. And we need Jesus to lead us, to guide us. For some of us, we need him to pull, him, pull us out of the messes that we're in. Oh, and some of the messes that only you know about. We need him to heal us. Christmas, uh, you know, so we're going we're gonna to meet this week, obviously. <laughs> we're going to meet next week, and then we're going to meet on the 18th. And this is what we're going after, this idea of light in the darkness, that Christmas is this perfect opportunity, again, to say, you know what, God, I, I admit that I maybe he'd be operating under the illusion of control. We can come to God and we can admit that we need him and that we need to listen to his voice. We can welcome him in this Christmas. Now, 
um, I don't know where each of you stand in terms of like your walk with God or your belief in God. Some of you have never turned and said, I, Jesus, I want to follow you and give you my life. And I think you should do that. Um, but I also want to speak to the people who call yourselves Christians. I'm giving you a gospel message right now. I'm giving you a gospel call right now saying that this is the perfect season as a believer to remind yourself by turning to God and saying you don't have what it takes, that we needed somebody from the outside to come in to solve our biggest issues and our biggest problem, and that we can claim victory, not because of anything that we've done, but because what Christ has done for us. Jesus is the light of the world. I encourage you over the course of the next three weeks to welcome the light in once again. Why don't we all stand? So we're going to worship one more time with the worship band. And as we do, I want to invite some of you to respond in prayer. And one of the things that we do each week is that we, like I'll, I'll prepare some words and talk, but we also believe that God wants to speak to us and lead us. And sometimes he brings things to our minds through prayer that we weren't expecting. So I'm going to pray and invite God's power and presence. He's already here. It's not like he was like, you know, waiting in the lobby. Like he's already here, but that we would be aware of what he's doing in us right now. So as they're tuning their guitars and starting the first chords, let's just wait. So God, we invite you. We invite you into this place. And God, um, we look to you. We need you. We cry out to you, say, God, you are God and we are not. The darkness is too dark for us. And once again, we turn to you. And we welcome you to do things in our lives, in our community, in our families, in our apartment building, at our work. So, God, we invite you to speak to our hearts and minds right now. So we pause. Let's just pause and wait. So I want to invite some of you to respond right now. Some of you uh, today have a part of your life that you don't want to run anymore and you've been running it yourself and you're tired of running that part of your life and you want to yield control of that part of your life over to Jesus again. If that is you, you know, it doesn't have to be like sin or like I'm doing the worst thing ever, but it could be just something where you're like, I, you know, I'm managing that and I don't want to manage it anymore. Well, there is a God who is willing to take control and help you with that part of your life. So I want to give you the opportunity to give that part of your life to Jesus. Maybe you've given it to him before and you've taken it back and you want to give it back to him. If that's you, I want you to make your way forward and I want our prayer team to pray with you that God would take that from you, that you would yield control of that part of that thing to your life. Um, and if that's you, so over the course of the next song, do that. That if you're like, hey, I don't want to run that part of my life anymore. Anything? Anything? This is uh, Patrick, one of our leaders. He's going to share too. Yeah, yeah uh, this is maybe a little broad of a word, but I just feel like there's people who think like, yes, there's hope in Jesus, but 
there's like a, a but, like there's a something in your life, like maybe an old shame or like an old tricky family relationship or something. I don't have any specifics on that, but there's just something that's like, you just think like, yeah, I believe in hope and redemption and all this good stuff for most of my life, but not for that one thing. And I just feel like Jesus wants to speak into that for you, whatever that is. So please, along with what Chris said, just come up to the front and one of us on the prayer team would love to pray for you. Yeah, I don't know if you're going to get a more uh, comfortable room than this. So over the course of the next song, uh, if that's something that you're like, you know, I want to yield control, if I want to respond to Patrick's thing, just make your way and one of us will pray for you. Let's worship one more time together.